Buying a mattress can be tough. With so many choices, it's overwhelming. Where do you even start? Introducing Bedmatch, a patented diagnostic system that determines your pressure points and recommends the mattresses that are best for your individual sleep needs. Sounds easy, right? It is, and it's found only at Mattress Warehouse. Try Bedmatch at a mattress warehouse near you. Visit sleephappens.com for locations and get free next day delivery on select purchases. Mattress Warehouse. SleepHappens.com Handle on the news. Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's the Bill Handel Show. Uh, Bill's off today. He's back tomorrow. Listen, I'm just going to tell everybody what's going on. And I don't care if Robin calls. Don't even answer the phone. I don't care. Because people get curious. And I'm just going to tell you straight up what's happening. If you have been paying attention this year, you will realize, uh, largely because of the pandemic, Bill has not taken an actual vacation. He normally takes two true vacations a year and travels. But of course, travel is can't do it. And I don't know if this is something he's ever talked about on the air, but I don't think it's a secret either. Um, If he's not out like on a vacation somewhere and he's just in town, He doesn't like not coming in and doing the show. He doesn't like just sitting around. If he's in Africa on a safari or on a cruise, then I think he's quite fine taking a little time away from the show. But otherwise, he's not the kind of guy to just kind of sit around just because. uh. And so he has not been able to take his normal vacations. And so what he's been doing is here and there, a day here, a couple of days there. Uh, instead of his normal routine. And this is one of those. That's all. Did he ever finish his mac and cheese? Did he ever let you know? Well, uh, if you weren't here yesterday, one of the things that he decided to do uh, is take a couple days off and try to perfect this macaroni and cheese recipe that he found somewhere online. But he couldn't just try to make it. He had to try to make it his own. Oh, of course. And, And yes, yesterday... Uh, or actually, it was Tuesday night. He was texting me about his progress, and the last text that I got was what he. It was like I don't know, eleven at night or something. Woke me up. Uh, three more grains of paprika. He thought. <laughs> so apparently, and now I feel bad. He devised the exact ratio or whatever, and then he. Oh, Bill, I'm sorry. He burned it. Oh, no. He burned it. It's very Southern. What, burning have, it? Well, no, to have it real dry. No, no. Just say that it was- no, it's not browned. It's not even, you can't even say deeply browned. Oh, it's. It's burnt. It's a smoking. Because he set a timer, and apparently he didn't set it right. Oh, Handel. 
Well, he is the technology maven. He was binge-watching whatever. I forgot what he was binge-watching. Well, that makes sense. And he was like, well, the timer, you know, the timer will go off. And then it it didn't go off. And he, he, he didn't check it. Yeah. So, failure. Mac and cheese failure. Oh. Anyway, he's coming back tomorrow. Everything's cool. Here we go. Good morning, Jennifer Jones-Lee. Hi, Wayne. How are you? I'm good. People good. can go if they want to see your festive news booth. There is a photo of it up on Twitter uh, at Come On and Farce. Oh, you put one up this some, morning. Oh, I was going to pretend like I don't know who that is. Yes, I put it up yesterday. Oh, thank you. And people, people are loving it, and maybe more people can go love it. It's very nice. Thank you. Thank you. Good to see you. Nice. To uh, see Alex you. Razo, producer of the show. Hello. What's up, Wayne? I don't know, man. <laughs> and. Bishop John Ramirez. Good morning. Oh, sir. stop it. Good morning. No. Oh, is that a promotion? Well, he uh yeah, because he was not a, a church official at all. Now he's a bishop. That's like three deacon. You're on the fast track to Pope. Yeah. That's all. We know it. You know it. One day there's gonna be dark smoke. Wait, or is it white smoke? It's white smoke. Yeah. White smoke is we have a decision. Yes, white smoke. But is decision. there dark smoke that just comes out during the whole process? Yes. Or there's no smoke. No, it's dark smoke if the votes, if they don't come to a unanimous decision. Deadlock, uh, deadlock, dark smoke. We have a new Pope, white smoke. Yes. That's how you can remember. It's a very handy mnemonic for you. Uh, one other thing, we are announcing the totals for Postathon throughout the day. The next announcement here will be right after the news at 7. I've given a challenge. What's the challenge? It was, I started this morning at $152,000 and change. I gave a challenge by the time that you read it at 7 o'clock for $5,000. So I'm- $5,000 more. $5,000 more. So I'm hoping that- Can you do the math for me? Tell me what the new total would be. $157,000 and change. Well, we'll see if it happens. Now, what is Postathon? One person may be asking. Postathon is our annual drive. To help Katarina's Club, the charity uh, run by Chef Bruno. Chef Bruno, of course, uh, has the Anaheim White House restaurant. And he feeds thousands of children every week. Uh, he's feeding like 25,000, maybe more at this point, every single week. And every year, we have Postathon to raise money to help him out. And there's uh, several ways you can help. One is to donate by going to postathon.com. Postathon.com. You also can go into any smart and final in California, in Nevada, in Arizona. And when you check out, you know, go in there and get one of those 80 pound cheesecakes that they have. And then when you check out, there's a, they make it so easy that you can just add $10. That's a donation to Katarina's Club. And what they do, they aggregate. All of the donations across all those smart and final stores, and then they convert it. If I understand this correctly, they then convert that. They take that and convert it into pasta and sauce, which, A, is a very cost-effective way to get food to the kids because a $10 donation ends up being 14 meals. Uh, and the other thing I'm going to say is that, you know, smart and final they basically are donating a tremendous amount of time 
and man hours, you know, to do this on behalf of Katarina's Club. The other thing that you can do, if you want, is gather your pasta and sauce and bring it to the Anaheim White House restaurant um, today and tomorrow between 8 a.m. and 3 p.m., and you don't have to get out of your car. It's very safe. You drive up. They got masked people there. You can pop your trunk, and they'll just take it out of the out of your trunk, and you're certainly welcome to do that as well. So stay tuned right after 7 to see if you made Jen's dream come true. All right, let's, you know what, we might as well take a break, and then we can start handle on the news proper here on KFI AM640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. The city's gonna break my heart. The city's gonna love me, then leave me alone. The city's got me chasing stuff. KFI AM640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Good morning, it's the Bill Handel Show. Jen, Bill just texted me. He's because he's listening. He heard the grocery outlet oh, ad for the for the spiral half ham. He just texted me. He said, "Isn't there a grocery outlet in Burbank near the station?" I said, "Yeah, there is." He said, "I'm going over there when they open." <laughs> he's making good use of his time. He loves ham so much. Oh my gosh, you guys! You know, people because he talks about it all the time, right? But I I, I want people to understand. It's not like a shtick. Or, oh, no. He loves ham. He loves it. Remember when he couldn't get it and he actually had me go to a store that I knew had it? Yes. A specific del- he was, that wasn't a joke. We weren't just doing that. That was a legit order from, like, as in order, place my order, yep. from him. Oh, yeah. He needs it. All right. Let's start Handle on the News right now with Jennifer Jones Lee and me. Lead story. We lost to the well, we have a significant fire. It's called the Bond Fire. And apparently, uh, it's up to like 3,600 acres. It's growing quite quickly in the area of Silverado Canyon. There are evacuation orders in effect for people in that area. Silverado Canyon, Majeska Canyon, Williams Canyon. And they just added Foothill Ranch and Portola Hills to the mandatory evacuation orders. And I know this one isn't included in this particular fire story, but we also have mandatory evacuation orders in Hemet now. There was a fire that started in Nuevo early this morning. That evacuation order is for people who live on California Avenue north of Trace Cerritos Avenue in the West Hemet area. Now, there are Red Cross evacuation centers in both areas for both of these fires. And um, the one thing, though, to remember is because of COVID-19, you can't go stay there. These are just emergency centers for you to go to temporarily today to figure out what you're going to do next. It's not like you can go take your sleeping bag there and plan to camp there until the fire is out. All right. And Corbin Carson is uh, either on his way or on site now at the bonfire. And uh, our plan is to have him on at seven to give us an update from there. Because right now we're in that we're in that early stage where it's spreading pretty quickly. Yeah. It is somewhat isolated relative to densely populated parts of Orange County. And it's like the weather conditions, unfortunately, are of a type that could cause this thing to really explode. We just don't know yet what we're going to have on our hands. And to your point, when I started the wake-up call at um, at (laughs) 5, when I started every morning, it was 2,000 acres. 
And by like 540, it was 3,600 acres. I mean, that's how quickly this one's moving. All right. Well, we're keeping an eye on it. We have Corbin Carson on the scene there. All right. uh, Power went out because SoCal Edison pulled the plug because of the fire danger. 35,000 SoCal Edison customers have had their power turned off to prevent wildfires. I was walking into the newsroom and my phone dinged this morning. And it was another, hey, you're in the zone that could have it go. So even if your power's not out yet, if they haven't pulled the plug, they've still got their finger on the button right now. So you still could. Well, because the conditions aren't getting any better. No, the wind advisory stays in effect until 3 this afternoon. And uh, I don't think that they follow wind advisories, but just so you know, that's what the forecast says. Where did I read that the, the was it the National Weather Center that issued this thing called, I'm sorry, I'm doing this completely from memory, like a special dangerous condition warning or something like that. It's not, it's something they do very rarely. It's more Uh, than just a wind warning or a red flag condition warning. It's like a severe situation warning that they put out. Possibly. I'm, I'm looking at the one that came from the weather service. Here, I found it. I found it. Um, it's the National Weather Service for L.A. County, the office in L.A. County. They call it a particularly dangerous situation warning for mountain areas of L.A. Ventura counties and also the Santa Clarita Valley. Because of these winds and low humidity, and they're looking at gusts up to 70 miles an hour. And check this out. Yesterday, we were talking about how dry the air is going to get, and we were saying could be as low as 5%. Mm-hmm. Now, they say could go down to 4% humidity. Yep. Speaking of advisories, uh, City of L.A. is under a remain-at-home order. I mean, it's the same safer-at-home order from earlier this year that has been tinkered with or whatever. It's back in effect. Um, There are a tremendous number of exemptions in terms of why you could leave your house. And also a tremendous number of exemptions for the kinds of businesses that can still stay open. But just generally be aware there is a safer at home order. And part of the order I'm looking at now on the city's website, there's a part of it where Garcetti sticks in that he is urging uh, LAPD to vigorously enforce this order. Now, whether Chief Moore is going to like, yes, sir, right. we're going to send out the roving patrols for curfew violators and to ask people why they're walking down the street. I don't know. But Garcetti's asking for that to happen. Um, anyway. Can't get a handle on this situation. All right, let's uh, get some news from Jen. And then when we come back, the city of L.A. is doing something else to try to help. During the pandemic, it's KFI AM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. I want to see you smile. No, that means I'll have to leave. No, that means I'll have KFI AM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's the Bill Handel Show. Bill's off today. He's back tomorrow. We're doing Handel on the News with Jennifer Jones-Lee and me. 
And we are keeping an eye on these fires that are burning. Specifically, we've got one in Hemet that started near Nuevo this morning. That's about 200 acres. But it's the fire in South Orange County, and I'm looking at some pictures of it now. It's 3,600 acres, and the wind is going like crazy. Corbin Carson is there. He's going to join Wayne at 7 o'clock. If you follow Corbin on Twitter, he just posted a video. Unfortunately, you can barely hear Corbin. I don't know if you've watched it yet, Wayne. Barely, barely. I mean, like eeks of him come out. The wind is so crazy, he can't even speak into the phone. So hopefully you guys will have a good enough connection, but it's not surprising that this fire has just exploded. All right, well, L.A. Mayor Garcetti has offered 800 bucks or 800 2000s of restaurant workers who are struggling during the pandemic. Somebody say to me yesterday, well, they wouldn't have to offer $800 to all the workers if they would just keep outdoor dining open. Then these people would still have jobs. That aside, a one-time stipend of $800 will be given uh, to eligible employees in L.A. who are restaurant workers who have been impacted by the pandemic. Now, this is specifically for 4,000 food service employees. You can start your applications on Monday. So that that site's going to crash. Of course. And 4,000 out of the uh, well over 100,000 people who basically are out of jobs right now because of all of this, it's a drop in the bucket. Oh, yeah. Because they can't figure out a systemic way to deal with this problem. Some of that has to do with uh, partisanship in Washington, John. They are still bickering about another round of coronavirus stimulus, although the Democrats have given up some of their demands to try to get something done. There is a bipartisan relief proposal, $908 billion. It does not include another round of $1,200 stimulus checks. That is something the Democrats wanted. That is something that they were holding firm to earlier this year. Earlier in the fall, they have given up on that to try to get something done. Mitch McConnell is not budging from his $550 billion idea. So they're getting closer, but unless Mitch McConnell also gives something, we're not going to get anything. And actually, we're going to talk about what is in all of these uh, this proposal, where money would go, and why, by the way, $908 billion, which is what you'll see in all the headlines or whatever is kind of a lie. Kind of a lie. Mm. Nine o'clock. I will expose the 908... Has COVID done anything for business? Absolutely. It's proven that your business needs cloud computing more than ever. So migrate now to get optimal security and access for your work from anywhere workforce. No cloud offers more than the Microsoft Cloud. And no one gets your business into the Microsoft Cloud better than CloudForce. It's all they do. Start now at GoCloudForce.com. That's GoCloudForce.com. Billion dollar lie. All right. Well, if your healthcare provider getting the COVID-19 vaccine isn't enough to convince you to get one, would you be convinced if you saw former President Obama, Bush, or Clinton get one? So those three former presidents have said that they will volunteer to get their COVID-19 vaccines on camera to promote public confidence in the vaccine once the USDA, FDA approves it. 
Okay. I don't know whose mind that changes. If you could get a Kardashian to get a vaccine Isn't that live sad? on I mean, TV, you'd probably influence more people. No no offense to the Kardashians, but isn't that sad? That's not a dig on the Kardashians. That's a well, dig that's on a society. Dig on, yeah. Well, a couple has been arrested after getting on a flight to Hawaii when they knew they were COVID-19 positive. Did I skip a story? No. Oh, okay. Um, they live in Hawaii. They were in San Francisco. They were going back to Hawaii. They tested positive during a pre-travel, uh, pre-travel screening, and they got on the plane anyway. So when they got off the plane, they were arrested because Hawaii's not playing around with this nonsense. All right. I want to know something. How did anybody find out that this couple had the COVID? Well, I can only assume... That when you do a pre-travel screening, (laughs) that the airline knows. See, this is the one where I'm like, hmm, something for me isn't passing the sniff test on this one. What do what do you what what is your theory of conspiracy here? Did they tell people that they were doing this? Were they trying to get uh, publicity? I don't know. Something's weird. I just want to know how they found out. If you told me, I need the math on this one. All right. Well, you know what? I know somebody that I can call, and I will see uh, if I can find out more. I'm serious. I you will... have people. I have a lot of people. Ah. When you're when you're when you're with the feds for almost thirty years, and and this is really important. When you know what you're doing, and you know how to work with people, you end up having a lot of people around. I like having a people who has people. So I will I will actually, uh, I will call a certain person and see if they can shed any more light on okay. exactly how this went down. Thank you. All right. Uh, the revised citizenship test is harder and more conservative and may worsen the backlogs. Because we'll put a boot in your ass. It's in. So this is uh, one more thing that's been a part of the controversial immigration policy under the Trump administration is that the government's giving this new test that is longer. It includes topics not previously covered, and it requires these new applicants to correctly answer twice as many questions as the previous test. And actually, we're going to get into this at eight and we're in you. Haha. I don't know if you knew this yet. You're going to be asked some of these questions. Oh, no. Um, but just the the. Here's the thing. A lot of this is like, well, you know, how hard should it be? Is it necessarily a bad thing to make it harder uh, to become a citizen? However, one of the things they did, I think, is unforgivable with this new test. Not necessarily that there are more questions, but there's something else that they did that's kind of crappy for people who want to be citizens. And don't worry, we want nobody's going to embarrass anybody. I promise. Oh. All right, let's take a break so she can have to try to do the news now uh, with a new worry in her pretty little head. It's uh, KFI AM640, <laughs> live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app, Jen. KFI AM640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Good morning. It's a Bill Handel show. Bill is off today. He is back tomorrow. 
We're finishing up Handle on the News with Jennifer Jones, Lee, and me. Also, after the news at 7, we will have our Postathon totals for you. We also are going to go to Corbin Carson, who is on the scene at the Bond Fire in Orange County. Uh, that is spreading fairly rapidly, it looks like. It's up to 3,600 acres. And, of course, these are terrible conditions to try to fight a fire with the uh, Santa Ana winds whipping around and the humidity being so low. And so stay tuned for all of that. Now, um, if you're just joining us, we had a story about a couple that was arrested when they got off the plane in Hawaii. They flew from San Francisco to Hawaii, where they live. They live in Hawaii. And they were arrested because they got on that plane, even though they knew that they were COVID-19 positive. And Jen, you you felt like there was something either fishy or a a missing piece of this story? I needed more. And you said you had people and I trusted you. So here's how it works. Oh, you got people. This this has to do with Hawaii. Hawaii had, although they just rescinded it because of these two people, oh. they had a um, safe travel program. You used to have to quarantine for 14 days if you came into Hawaii. Right. Okay. okay. Then they put in this safe travel plan where you could skip the quarantine if you had a negative test. Prior to to getting on the plane. Okay. And the state contracted with specified um, trusted testing sites to do the test. Like you couldn't just walk into an urgent care anywhere and get a test. You had to go to a place that they approved of. Okay. And they have an electronic database system. So what you're supposed to do is you go to the approved place, you get the test. If it's negative, you're supposed to upload your results into this database that the state of Hawaii maintains. Or you can bring a copy of your negative test when you go to board the plane. Okay. So that means the people at the airport, they don't, they don't know. It's not their job to enforce it. Okay. Just because you don't show up with a negative test, they don't know that you might have uploaded it. And because it's medical information, it's not their business. So this is kind of an agreement between you and the state of Hawaii that you're going to follow the rules. So these people, this couple, they got tested, but it was positive. And so they were told, you can't get on the plane and you should be staying here in San Francisco and quarantining. And they went, no thanks. And they went and got on the plane. But the problem is you have to fill out uh, a certification as part of this program before you fly that you tested negative. So what oh, happened is they okay. they filled out and said negative, but there were no results. They didn't have the results in the database because they didn't upload them because they couldn't because they weren't negative. negative. And they didn't present them when they got on the plane. And so by the time the plane arrived in Hawaii... Hawaii knew that there were two people on the plane for whom they did not have negative results. Uh-huh. Wayne, and they thank have you. and they have a obviously they have a sharing agreement with the trusted testing facilities. So that's how it all That's how it all went down and it's pretty amazing that because they live in Hawaii this couple, they really they should they had to have understood how the program worked. Yeah. And that they were not going to get away with it. But I guess they didn't. Because I don't, here's what I don't believe. I don't believe they knew they would be caught. They knew it and still got on the plane. Yeah. I don't believe that. 
So they must not have understood how robust the safer travel program is in Hawaii. Now, because of these two, the governor just issued an emergency order suspending the safer travel plan. So they ruined it. Oh, thanks, guys. For all the people who were following the rules. All right. Um, Oh, this is okay. This is a sad story. Uh, A CHP officer has died uh, a little over a week after he was involved in an on-duty crash. Now, when I say involved, when he was the complete victim in a crash, um, Andy Ornelas is on his way to help people who had been in a crash, right? There's a crash on the 14. He's going out there to help. And he's he's on his way. And somebody had pulled over to the shoulder. And they decided that person on the shoulder was like, oh, it's time for me to get back on the road, make a U-turn and get back. They didn't check their mirror. They didn't see this guy coming. They pull out right in front of him. And so he has died from his injuries, and and uh, he comes from an entire law enforcement oh, this family. Is the part that killed mom, retired CHP officer at the same station where he worked. His dad is a motor cop with LAPD. His brother is a CHP officer uh, down here in Central LA. His uncle's a retired CHP captain. Ugh. And uh, oh, I kind of, I'd rather not end. That's what I was trying to skip to. On something uh, like uh, that? Just go to 16 quickly. So that, oh, so, yeah. So that people know that this situation is continuing. Should I start with? <gasps> you just did. A shiny metal monolith has been spotted where? Here in SoCal. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Tascadero. It's not really SoCal. Well, it's like the one that was in Utah. No, no, I know. I'm Ish. just, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm quibbling with, oh, yeah. with a Tascadero in- I think of as more central coasty, but uh, right. whatever. So it's at the top of Pine Mountain Loop hiking trail right there in a Tascadero. And this, uh, they say that they, this one, it, so let's put it this way. Did it disappear from Utah and land in a Tascadero? Oh, one boy. hiker asked. No, it didn't. Was George Norrie that hiker? Obviously, this is some art installation project that's going on. It's very clear now that that's what's going on. And did you hear, I don't know if you heard me talk about the story yesterday. Remember the guys who took the monolith out of Utah and they thought, oh, those must be the artists. No, they were just guys who hike around that area and were mad that the, there was a gouge, a two foot gouge put in the sandstone by whoever the artist was that put the monolith up in the first place. Yeah. So they did it out of an environmental protest. All right. Uh, When we come back, we're going to connect with Corbin Carson, who's on the scene at the bond fire in Orange County, And we'll have Postathon totals for you. It's KFI AM640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. KFI AM640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Good morning. It's the Bill Handel Show. Uh, and without any further delay, we want to go to Corbin Carson, who is on the scene at the bonfire in Orange County. Corbin, good morning. Uh, tell us what the scene is like there and what you know about this fire so far. 
Oh, it's it's nasty up here. I mean, I had to pull out to get some service, but I was, I mean, just a mile up the road near Irvine Lake. You can see this, you know, a lot of people will be waking up to see a lot of that thick black smoke off into the east or southeast, depending on where you are in Orange County. But this is up near the, uh, I'm right now on Santiago Canyon Road. This is up near Silverado Canyon and the Majesca Canyon area. This morning, uh, you know, as I was coming in, it was still dark. You could see this orange glow as you headed down. The, uh, as you head down the windy uh, Santiago Canyon Road. And then, at, as I mentioned, just about a mile uh, up from Irvine Lake is where the fire has, you know, you, you can't go any further. There's hand crews out. There's, uh, you know, some, um, some um, uh, dozers that are trying to cut some line to try to keep this fire away from uh, what looked to be like a ranch in that area. But again, it's it's nasty up here. The wind is was the craziest part. Uh, you can hear a little bit of it now, but it, that's you know I, I've I've come a little bit out of the canyon, but inside the canyon, it is just uh, really really strong winds that are just whipping around, pushing and moving my truck while while I was trying to sit there and, and and get some understanding of what was going on. I'm being told that the wind gusts could get up to 70 miles per hour in this area, and and it's really really difficult for the crews that are going to be fighting this area. As we've heard, this will continue throughout the day as these. Uh, red flag warnings continue so far we're being told about 800 firefighters on scene up here but aircraft still grounded because of those wind conditions again this is a, a, a quite a nasty scene up here it's already uh exploded to about 3600 acres the fire that uh, was uh, we're, we're being told started with a house uh, a house fire that sparked into this wind fire that exploded first to a thousand then to 2000 and now we're at least at more than 3,600 acres. So it's, it's quite a scene up here. And uh, one of the issues, of course, the winds, as you mentioned, the other one is the uh, incredibly low humidity. Can you, can you feel that the air is exceptionally dry or is that not something you can really tell when you're just standing there? It's 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 hard to tell. It's it's still a little chilly out here, and obviously that wind that you can hear is 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 cold, <laughs> to to put a uh, no finer point on it. But uh, no, I can't really tell if the humidity is. You know, you feel it in the air, but you can definitely see to my right, to my left, all around me, nothing but dry brush, that brittle fuel for this fire to go in any direction if it gets a chance. And, you know, one of the good things is so far, you know, they're calling it the bonfire. It's pushing towards the area of the Silverado fire, which I was on uh, at least part of the time uh, in October. That it burned about 13, over 13,000 acres and, you know, tens of thousand people have been, were, were told to leave. So hopefully that'll hit towards that burn scar and have nowhere else to go as it heads. Uh, I think we're heading right now towards the southwest, I want to say. Yeah, southwest. So uh, again, we, you know, Irvine police said a lot of people may be able to wake up and see from the city of Irvine, the city, you can, you can see the fire but we're being told that currently that area, uh, the fire is burning away from the city, so those people are okay. But there are mandatory evacuations for Silverado Canyon, Williams Canyon, Majeska Canyon. Uh, and now we have also seen some foothill, some um, uh, mandatory evacuations for Foothill Ranch, Port, uh, Portola Hills, uh, west of the El Toro Road, and north of the 241 Freeway. So hundreds of people so already being asked to leave. There's also a, a, a pretty decent-sized list of voluntary evacuations. People are told to get their stuff ready and be be prepared to leave on a moment's notice. And if you want that full list, those people can either go to the uh, OCFA dot, uh, dot, I think it's got dot gov um, or dot org, and, or check them on, out on Twitter for the full list uh, of the voluntary evacuations.
All right, Corbin, thank you so much. Uh, I suspect you will be on this station throughout the day updating us on the fire there. That's correct. And then again, there's a temporary Red Cross uh, evacuation point set up uh, at 8405 East Chapman. The COVID restrictions, another interesting sideline of this is that they can't set up full you know, uh, full areas for people to hang out and congregate, but there are some temporary evacuations set up so people can check there. Hopefully we'll get some air support up towards this fire soon. But again, those wind conditions are pretty much driving everything that happens with this fire. All right, great. Corbin Carson, we'll hear from you again uh, at the Bond Fire in Orange County. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like this. I, I hope what he said is what happens. There's at least a possibility the thing moves towards the uh, Silverado scar and then sputters out. Let's keep our fingers crossed. That's the course of this fire. All right. Uh, before we take a little break here, you know, we are doing KFI's annual Postathon to raise money for Katarina's Club and Chef Bruno feeding the children. You can donate at postathon.com. Chef Bruno's feeding 25,000 kids a week. And during these uh, COVID times, the need is even greater. You can go to postathon.com to donate. You can go to a Smart and Final store anywhere in California, Nevada, or Arizona and add $10 at the checkout. They convert that into a tremendous amount of pasta and sauce for the kids. And you can drop off your own donations of pasta and sauce at the Anaheim White House restaurant today and tomorrow between 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. It's all very safe. You don't have to get out of your car. Put it in your trunk. Pop your trunk when you get there. And uh, masked volunteers will take it out. And it is time to read the... Buying a mattress can be tough. With so many choices, it's overwhelming. Where do you even start? Introducing BedMatch, a patented diagnostic system that determines your pressure points and recommends the mattresses that are best for your individual sleep needs. Sounds easy, right? It is. And it's found only at Mattress Warehouse. Try BedMatch at a mattress warehouse near you. Visit sleephappens.com for locations and get free next day delivery on select purchases. Mattress Warehouse house sleephappens.com has covid done anything for business absolutely it's proven that your business needs cloud computing more than ever so migrate now to get optimal security and access for your work from anywhere workforce no cloud offers more than the microsoft cloud and no one gets your business into the microsoft cloud better than cloudforce it's all they do start now at gocloudforce.com that's gocloudforce.com Current totals. Now, Jen, when you read the totals at five, uh-huh. you set a goal. I did. What was your goal? My goal was, it. the number I read was 152000 and change. I said, could we have a goal of $5,000 at least by seven o'clock? I know it's a hefty goal. All right. Well, here's the totals. It's the 10th annual KFI Postathon. Go to pastathon.com to donate now. Calculating donations. Please stand by. $155,900 and 31,760 pounds of pasta and sauce. Okay, 3,000. I'll take it. All right, this is really good, but listen. Here's what I want. Uh, We're going to read totals again at 9. And I want this number above 160000 by 9 o'clock. Please, if you can, and any amount helps. Yep. Which we always say, charities go, any amount helps. This is true, though. It's really true. Five 
dollars donated at pastathon.com translates into multiple meals for these kids. Yep. All right. Uh, when we come back, Brad Garrett, organized crime now is apparently getting in on the COVID vaccine situation. He'll explain what's going on there. It's KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Yeah. AM640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Good morning. It's the Bill Handel Show. Wayne Resnick sitting in for Bill, who's back tomorrow. And let's go to Brad Garrett, ABC News crime and terrorism analyst, because uh, coronavirus vaccines, apparently organized crime wants to get involved in that. Good morning, Brad. What is going on here? So let's look at this, uh, Wayne, from a, a number of angles, one being fake websites that organized crime, organized hacking groups, et cetera, are creating sites that look legitimate. They look like pharmacies. They look like um, vaccine manufacturers, let's say like Pfizer, et cetera. They look like government agencies to convince people that, hey, you can get ahead, you, get to buy, you can get the vaccine early, just go through us. Um, and so they're attempting to sell basically fake vaccines through um, to the internet that you would say to yourself, you know, who would fall for that? Well, if you're talking about hitting millions and millions of people on the web, you're going to get a percentage of them. So that's one angle of this. The other is organized crime, state sponsored hackers. And I even think terrorists are attempting to hack into the, the, the companies that are producing the virus to steal the formula. They're also hacking into the companies that are going to distribute the vaccine, like IBM recently reported attempts to break into their system because they're involved in the storage, transportation, refrigeration of the vaccine. So all of these bad actors that have different motivations are getting in the middle of the, of the movement and, and distribution of this vaccine. So at every step of it, right, they're, they're trying to steal uh, information from the manufacturers. They're trying to interdict legitimate doses. They're trying to sell fake doses. Do How clear are we on who is involved in these endeavors? Well, we probably, the intelligence community and the FBI, DHS, et cetera, I think probably do know some of the actors, but it's so big. It, it, think about this estimate, Wayne. The government claims they take down over a thousand websites a day that involve fake whatever you want to fill in the blank with involving COVID-19. From test kits to the vaccine to PPE to protective equipment. And so it, it is so big and it's so easy to get into this if in fact that's your motivation. Um, it's a huge, huge problem. And because it's a worldwide pandemic, you can just think about whatever happens here is going to happen every place else as far as bad actors are concerned. And obviously, uh, a lot of these bad actors are not in the country or countries that they're targeting. So it, to do anything about it, I'm assuming would require significant cooperation uh, across international law enforcement agencies. Uh, no question about that. Uh, do I think that uh, our version of traditional organized crime 
could be involved as far as stealing, let's say, stockpiles of the vaccine? Sure. I can see that happening at some point. So um, it's a, if you look at this from an intelligence-slash-law enforcement perspective, I mean, it could become pretty overwhelming. Uh, if you combine DHS, FBI, and the FDA, just looking at the drug side of this, I mean, it's, it, I don't even know how you keep up with it. It's, it's a bit of whack-a-mole, I think, to a certain extent, just because of so many different um, entities and bad actors involved for you know, a lot of different motivations as to why they're involved. Wouldn't it all, at the, at the end of the day, though, wouldn't it all boil down to money? Well, if, it would boil down to money clearly for organized crime. To a certain extent, it would, it would boil down to money even for state-sponsored ha- hackers who are trying to steal the formula, figure out a way to make the drug cheaper or, or a, you know, a less potent version of it. Um, you, you know, there's that aspect of it. The idea that you would know the distribution system and where it's stored, I mean, that would be powerful information for China, Russia, North Korea to know if, in fact, they want to try something at some point. You know, information is power, and, and partic- in particular because so much of what we have and do is online, um, you know, the ability to steal it is always potentially there. All right. Well, um, can we call upon you again uh, when, for example, doses start shipping here in this country and, and, and get an update on uh, what's happening in that regard? Because it's some scary stuff you're talking about. Absolutely. Anytime. All right. Thank you, Brad Garrett, ABC News crime and terrorism analyst. And I guess it shouldn't be that big a surprise uh, that bad actors would want to disrupt and profit from COVID-19 vaccines. When we come back here, Dr. Jim Keeney's joining us. Uh, I got a lot of different health-related questions for him. You know, the big controversy here in L.A. County about no in-person dining. I want to know what he thinks about how dangerous that kind of a setting is. Also, the CDC came out with their recommendations how to prioritize who gets the vaccines. I'd like to know if he agrees with their ranking of who should be number one, two, and three, and uh, some other stuff. So stay tuned. It's KFI AM640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. You call him Dr. Jones, Okay. Well, all the more reason why you should be my neurosurgeon on call. You could make such a difference. You can't work in your butcher's shop. KFI AM640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Good morning. So Bill Handel's show. Bill is off today. He's back tomorrow. And uh, it's a good time to bring on Dr. Jim Keeney. I like to say he is the medical expert of the Bill Handel Show, co-director of the ER at Mission Hospital in Mission Viejo. Oh, there you are. Good morning, Dr. Jim. How are you? Morning, Wayne. Let's start. Oh, good. Okay. Let's start with this. I'm sorry. I'm excited to talk to you. You know there's a massive controversy in L.A. County after they shut down in-person outdoor dining to the point where a judge has ordered the county to come up with the specific scientific evidence that they are relying on in imposing the ban. Let me ask you, as a smart doctor, um, in terms of spreading the coronavirus, how dangerous is the outdoor dining paradigm? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard to say because it's so many different ways that it's being set up and the way people are participating, right? I mean, I think that, that it can be done safely is the answer to the question. I mean, you can do it where seats are, are still spaced out, you know, by six feet and that people are wearing masks going in and out, that all the the people that work there are wearing masks. So, you know, I, I do believe that outdoor dining can be done safely for sure. Um, I'm sure there are circumstances, though, where people are trying to cram as many tables into an outdoor space as they can, and they're not following those those orders. And all of a sudden, you know, I've seen it here in Orange County, for example, when we first uh, opened up outdoors, there's a place down in Dana Point Harbor, and, you know, they had people standing out there making sure nobody moved the tables because people would would congregate and want to be close to all their friends and, and get like two or three tables together and they wouldn't allow that. And, and some of those type of things have, uh, have been more lax lately. And now people are moving things around and, and getting into bigger groups. Yeah. And it makes sense that there's sort of two questions with anything, which is um, how safe is it if everybody follows rules and how do you account for noncompliance? But let me ask you about the one part of outdoor dining that is baked into it. And this is something that I think Sheila Kuehl, LA County uh, Supervisor, Board of Supervisors, pointed to specifically. If it's dining, then there has to be a certain amount of time that you're there that you don't have the mask on. Does that fact make it riskier than it might uh, than some let's say than sitting in the same configuration but wearing a mask the entire time would be yeah of course i mean so that's the issue is you know if you're if you are dining there's just i don't think people realize that there's a natural protective mechanism in your throat right when you're eating food that sometimes things just don't settle in on the upper part of your throat just right and you give it a little cough or you know a little clearing of your throat and so it is a little bit different and uh and you're doing that while you're eating i noticed i noticed myself when i'm eating i'm like conscious of it now because every time you cough you know everybody looks at you like uh you have the plague but uh you're right. I mean, the bottom line is you're going to be around people. They're going to have their masks off. You're going to be talking, laughing, you know, doing all the things you do when you get together. And, it, it, you know, but I don't know, Wayne, I, I struggle just like everybody else. I want to be that guy that uh, can can let everybody have fun and say, all right, I want to go out. I want to I want to be with friends. I want to be social. You know, life's not worth living if you can't get out every once in a while. But you can't get past the fact that that we're in the middle of the of one of the biggest pandemics in a hundred years. And, uh, and it, the numbers are still going up. And even though in that context, even though everybody seen it, it, it seems to be less severe as when it first hit, we're still got plenty of people fighting for their lives, plenty of people that are on ventilators that won't be going back home to their families. So, uh, you know, this thing is real and, uh, you know, I just hate to, oversimplify it or even, you know, try and find a way for people to go out and have fun. And these policies about what can be open, what shouldn't be open, um, they all do depend to a great extent on compliance. So you're a doctor, you've been a doctor a long time. I assume that hundreds of times in your career, you have told a patient things that they should do or things that they should not do, you know, in order to get better. Generally speaking, do do you what level of noncompliance uh, does the medical field experience when you give medical advice yeah. to people? 
Oh yeah, we. I mean, we know this down to the science. On uh, you know, for example, like if I give you a pill that you take once a day, I know about eighty percent of people will actually do that. Maybe a little bit higher. If I give you a pill to take twice a day, it drops to about sixty percent. If it's three times a day, forty percent max, probably about thirty percent will actually take the pill three times a day. So, I mean, we know that that compliance is difficult. I mean, it, we can we can call pharmacies. They've done studies where you call in the prescription and see if they actually pick it up. You lose people right there. So, um, you know, this is. Uh, is well known in the in the medical community that people don't comply. But you bring up a good point because when you don't take your own blood pressure medicine, you're only putting your own health at risk. So, you know, and if people come to me and say, I don't want to take my medicine, I don't care. I don't care what you say. I, I know that it'll prevent a stroke or a heart attack. I don't want to take it. And I say, fine, you know, you're an adult. You can make your own decisions. But in these cases, this is more similar to, say, the smoking ban in restaurants and things like that, where your behavior is significantly impacting other people and people around you. So I have a lot harder time with that. When you come to, when you talk about compliance specifically too, I mean, in hospital settings where we all agree we're going to do certain things like wash our hands, wear masks, uh, even when COVID isn't around, we have to stay on top of each other. It's just part of the culture that you walk up to somebody and say, hey, man, I noticed you didn't wash your hands. That's just got to be part of how we hold each other accountable. And, you know, try doing that in public you know, with masks. That's not going to work out very well for you. What I think I'm getting from you is that one challenge is to devise protocols to make certain activities as safe as possible. That's one challenge. Whatever it is, working out at an indoor gym, dining at a restaurant, going to a movie. But the bigger challenge is once protocols have been devised, getting people to do it. Yeah. For sure. If you had you know, magical, and getting, and getting everybody to do it. If you had, I was going to say, if you had magical one hundred percent compliance, you just we lived yeah. suddenly in a world where there's a hundred percent compliance with any protocol. Do you think we could devise protocols to allow most of the normal activities that we're used to, subject obviously to these restrictions and protocols? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're seeing it in a lot of other countries uh, where they are able to operate their businesses. And, they, and you know, these are countries where the culture is more of a and not, not so much individualistic, but more uh, of the, uh, the entire community based culture. So people culturally feel responsible for other people rather than just for themselves. And in those cultures, you know, they're able to to, to do these type of things and, and still have businesses open. I, I think that we can do it, too. If you're like you said, if everybody was 100 percent compliant, I'm sure that we could be a lot more open than we are. You know, but again, I, I, I liken it to the whole herd immunity effect where you need 80, 85 percent of people immune to block the spread. You know, it makes sense that it's very similarly, you need that kind of herd immunity with masking and with social distancing that even if 15 20 percent of people are not doing it it's enough to keep this thing spreading all right we're gonna take a break and then when we come back uh, think about the cdc's recommendations for who should get the vaccine first who should get it next and uh, i want to get your thoughts on whether they got it right or not dr jim keeney is with us this is kfi am 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app jen I found myself a guy that's so much wiser, and he taught me the way to win your heart. KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. 
watch the Bill Handel Show. Bill's back tomorrow. We're talking to Dr. Jim Keeney, co-director of the ER at Mission Hospital in Mission Viejo. And let me press the button here to bring him back. All right, Dr. Jim, the CDC came out with their recommendations for who should get the uh, vaccines for COVID-19 first. And I don't think this is any surprise that number one, healthcare workers, first responders, number two, residents and staff in uh, nursing homes and similar congregate living facilities. Was that a surprise at all? No, not really a surprise. I mean, this is exactly... You know, their goals are to uh, reduce death and and uh, serious complications and preserve, you know, social function as much as they can. Uh, and, you know, that's what we're going to need. Those are the people that we're going to need uh, handy to to, uh, you know, provide health care that, you know, it's interesting, though, because they got the 20 million doses initially and there's 21 million healthcare workers alone. People in nursing homes is about three million. So, I mean, I'm assuming that not everybody will take the vaccine and they should have enough on the first round to at least do the first dose. Because remember, um, 20 million doses, you know, is only 10 million people immunized because of the two dose requirement. All right. Did you know buying a mattress at Mattress Warehouse means you have a one-year price guarantee? Find a better price? They'll match it, plus 50% of the difference. Why buy anywhere else? Mattress Warehouse. Sleephappens.com. Mattress Warehouse. Sleephappens.com. Has COVID done anything for business? Absolutely. It's proven that your business needs cloud computing more than ever. So migrate now to get optimal security and access for your work from anywhere workforce. No cloud offers more than the Microsoft cloud. And no one gets your business into the Microsoft cloud better than CloudForce. It's all they do. Start now at GoCloudForce.com. That's GoCloudForce.com. So not a lot of controversy here. However, that's number one, right? Priority number one, priority number two. Priority number three, who should be third in line to get this vaccine? Right. So now you start looking at the ethical principles they're looking at. And when they make this decision, it's to maximize benefit, minimize harm, to mitigate uh, health inequities. That's a big one. Uh, You know, so looking at groups that are, uh, you know, disproportionately affected and can we reduce their disproportionate burden of this disease? Uh, then there's to you know promote justice within groups and then to be transparent. Those are kind of their stated uh, ethical guidelines for how they do this. So that's where it starts to get interesting. I mean, if we have uh, you know underserved communities, we have Indian reservations, we have uh, you know uh, places like that that are um, that you know maybe are being hit harder than you know downtown orange county would they get the vaccine first you know a lot of those uh ethical principles would guide you to say yes we should we should immunize those harder hit areas first rather than second so it 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 will develop i mean this is going to create a really interesting public uh ethical and moral discussion and I'm, i'm really curious to see how it goes well how about just from a stripping out those considerations purely from a medical standpoint which I guess would be to what to to um, mitigate as much as possible the number of deaths and I guess the spread. Who who should be third in line? Um, again, it's the people that are that is being most spread through, 
and the people that it's being uh, that's killing the most. And so that's how we've come to like the first group is going to be nursing home residents because they're by far the hardest hit. You know, if you look at all the data, uh, you can see that it's the elderly and especially ones in nursing homes where it, where it just goes through there like wildfire if they don't take appropriate precautions right away. Um, so that'll continue. And then the next people most uh, intensely hit would probably be people uh, living in, uh, you know, more crowded conditions, uh, inner cities, uh, things like that. You know, I, I heard you guys talking about earlier in the week about opening, you know, why are they closing restaurants in Malibu when there's not a lot of disease there? Well, it's because all the people that work in the restaurants in Malibu live in more crowded conditions and they all are getting hit by it pretty hard. And so it's those you wouldn't necessarily immunize Malibu first. You'd immunize the people that are working in those restaurants first. I see, that makes sense. Uh, Dr. Jim, thank you so much. I know we will talk with you again soon. Take care. All right, take it easy. Dr. Jim Keeney, co-director of the ER at Mission Hospital in Mission Viejo. And uh, after the news from Jen, oh, no, 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 no. $1.3 billion in wildlife relief. Tubbs fire. The uh, Paradise fire. I guess the campfire is the one that destroyed Paradise, right? Okay. Apparently, none of that money has gotten to the people who need it yet. How does that happen? We'll get into it here on KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. AM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's the Bill Handel Show. Bill's off today. He's back tomorrow. Uh, before I get to the thing that I'm very mad about, $1.3 billion uh, in wildlife relief, none of it apparently having gotten to the people who need it yet. If the government can't help, we can help. You can help. I'm talking about Postathon. It's KFI's 10th annual Postathon. We raise money for Katarina's Club. Chef Bruno feeds uh, 25,000 kids a week. And with the pandemic going on, uh, there's even more need than ever. And so we're asking you to uh, whatever you can come up with, go to postathon.com and you can donate there. You can also go into any Smart and Final store in California, Nevada, Arizona, and they will be very happy to add a $10 donation. You can give them a $10 donation to add at checkout. They convert all of that into a lot of pasta and sauce for these kids. And if you want, if you want to load up your trunk with some pasta and sauce, you can go to the Anaheim White House restaurant with it and stay in your car, pop the trunk, masked volunteers, all very safe. We'll take that out of there. Be happy to have it. And people are bringing five pounds, 10 pounds of pasta and sauce. And I know some people are bringing hundreds of pounds. They're driving up in a car, popping the trunk, and there's 400 pounds of pasta back there. So pastathon.com is where you can donate right now. And at 9 o'clock, we will have the latest totals for our pastathon. goes on today and tomorrow. Now. You, I'm sure, remember the Tubbs fire. The Tubbs fire 
started in Napa County, spread through what, like Santa Rosa area, devastated some of the wine industry. 4,500 homes were destroyed. 22 people died in that fire. The next year, the campfire. That destroyed the entire city of Paradise. 85 people dead. Almost 14,000 homes gone. So the first thing that happened is FEMA came in and they set up temporary housing and other short-term assistance because that's what FEMA does. They did what they're supposed to do. But by, by design and by the definition of their mission... FEMA is not the long-term rebuild everything agency. So FEMA comes in, they do their part. Now it's up to Congress, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, and officials in the state of California. Those three entities now have to do their job, and that's how you get to people rebuilding their homes. So Congress... I'm going to say Congress did their job. They approved $1.3 billion in uh, rebuilding aid, and, and it was broken up into different areas. So, for example, you had a bunch of money to rebuild um, low-income housing because you had people living in affordable housing complexes. They burned to the ground. This is money to rebuild those. You also had a big pot of money for people who were in single-family homes to rebuild their homes. You also had a third big group of money, about, I think, over $400 million for infrastructure needs. Because there's no point rebuilding your house if the roads are gone and if there's no water system in place. And so there was money for that. So that got approved. I'm going to say Congress did their job. The next step... And this is where it gets complicated needlessly. Housing officials in California have to come up with a spending plan. How are we going to use this money specifically? Give that plan to uh, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, the feds. The feds have to approve it. And then the recovery spending can begin. And it took almost two years. For HUD to sign off on any of the proposals that the state submitted. Guess when HUD approved California's plan for the relief for the um, campfire, that which was in 2018. Last week. Last week. What is going on? Well, obviously, there's a problem at HUD. They're dragging their feet. But is California to blame at all? Yeah, maybe. And here's why. A couple of reasons. Here's one reason. There was a guy who was the um, director of California's Department of Housing and Community Development. And his name is uh, Ben Metcalf. He was the director for three or four years. And he left. Last year, he left to go to Berkeley and become part of some housing innovation think tank at Berkeley. And Governor Newsom, who I've said it before and I've said it again, and it's just a little hunch that I have somewhere in the back of my mind that's telling me maybe he's not very good. 
Governor Newsom waited seven months to appoint a new director. Now, there was an interim guy. I think the deputy director was acting as a director, but that's not that's not how you do it. He did finally appoint somebody. Okay, so that's one problem. And then here's another problem. And it's interesting. HUD says, well, we, when this was going on and California was submitting their proposals to spend this fire relief money, we were investigating previous problems with how California was spending the money they were getting. And... Apparently, the people in California at the Department of Housing and at other government agencies, they basically agreed that there were some problems. They didn't say, hey, we're doing everything right. I don't know why HUD is on our back. That's not what they said. They said, yeah, there's some problems. We understand why HUD might be looking. So it seems like probably... uh, Previously to to the one point three billion dollars authorized to help the people from the Tubbs fire and the campfire, that there's something either inefficient or hinky has been going on here in California. And HUD didn't want to just sign off on more money that might end up wasted or worse. But that's where we are all this time after those fires. One point three billion dollars authorized not helping people. Okay, when we come back, uh, you talked about this a little bit earlier, Jen. The Trump administration has made changes to the citizenship test. It's longer, it's more difficult, and it's also one other thing that is terrible. And we'll get into what's with it, and then uh, the other people on the show here are going to be subjected to some of these new questions. It's KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Jen. Six forty live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Good morning, Bill Handel's show. Bill's back tomorrow, and the citizenship test given to people who want to become citizens of the United States uh, has been made harder. Effective Tuesday of this week, two days ago, when you go to take the test for citizenship, uh, it is quite different than it used to be. Now, some of the differences are, I think, fine. Uh, They used to give you a hundred potential questions. And then when you got to your, meaning, meaning you knew every possible question. And then you would go to the test and they would ask you 10 of them and you had to get six right. Now, there's 128 potential questions. When you sit down for the test, you'll they'll ask you 20 of them, and you have to get 12 right. So it's still 60% to pass. They still give you all the potential questions in advance. There's a few more that you got to study up on, and they ask you more. I don't really have problem with any of that. Here's the thing they also did, though. They did two other things. One thing they did is they changed acceptable answers to some of the questions to reflect what appears to be um, 
a desire to reinforce the idea that there's a big difference between a citizen of the United States and someone who's here who's not. So, for example, one of the questions, who does a U.S. senator represent? And if you say, oh, the people in their state or whatever, you would have been correct until Tuesday. But starting on Tuesday, the answer they're looking for is the citizens of their state. Which is wrong, by the way. I mean, as a, as a matter of law, senators represent every person regardless of their, you know, I mean, we can quibble about should they, whatever. How, but, okay, um, so that's one thing they did. And then the other thing they did is they turned some of these questions into open-ended like oral essay questions. Supreme Court justices serve for life. Why? How do you know what they want to hear? And the other thing that you must understand about the citizenship test is it's given orally uh, by a customs inspector person, and they have some leeway to decide whether your answer is satisfactory or not. So if they say, why do Supreme Court justices serve for life? You say whatever you think the answer is. They can they can go, that's, that's pretty good. I'll take it. Or, no, nah, I don't think it's quite good enough. And that's the part, that's the part of it that I think is unforgivable. Uh, to, to turn it into some weird open-ended thing where it's subjective. Because it means two people could say the same thing in front of two different officers, and one of them it would be scored correctly, and the other one it might not. That's, I think, what you can't have. I don't have a problem with the other stuff. The citizens thing's a little weird, but I, I'm like, I can let that pass right now. Um, but turning it into this bizarro, like it's almost like uh, the bar exam, right, where you write all this stuff and somebody just kind of decides if it's good enough. So, uh, oh, you guys are lucky. You guys are lucky because we are out of time for me to quiz you on any of these new questions. But I'll just say what some of them are, okay? Okay. So now people are going to be asked things like, name one thing the Constitution does. Uh, Can I say sits in a glass case? I was going to say does. That's that's the question. Name one thing the Constitution does. Why does each state have two senators? Many documents influenced the U.S. Constitution. Name one. You see, why is the Electoral College important? Well, that's way some too people open-ended. some people think that it's not it's, just not important, but that it's a problem. You, so you see how yeah. now it's this minefield of what do they really want from me? It's not just what does the Gettysburg Address start with? Right. It, yeah. So that's what they've done. They've made it. Look, the bottom line is they've made it harder. That they, they've made it so you have to have a higher level of um, English comprehension, and they've made it very subjective now. So that a guy having a bad day can decide you don't get to be a citizen. And I'd I'd like to see them go. I don't care how hard they want to make it. I don't, especially when you can study in advance. So that part's fine. But it's there's got to be an objective 
way to know if your answer is quote correct or not. Can I just say, uh, my wife, Kari, is actually going through this. Ah. Uh, she's permanent resident, but she's going to be taking her citizenship, I want to say, I think in two years. I don't know how long it is exactly. But uh, she literally texted me. She said, so um, watching Hamilton is not enough? <laughs> nope. <laughs> All right, when we come back, it's Handle on the News Late Edition right here on K. Did you know buying a mattress at Mattress Warehouse means you have a one-year price guarantee? Find a better price, they'll match it, plus 50% of the difference. Why buy anywhere else? Mattress Warehouse. Sleephappens.com. Mattress Warehouse. Sleephappens.com. Has COVID done anything for business? Absolutely. It's proven that your business needs cloud computing more than ever. So migrate now to get optimal security and access for your work from anywhere workforce. No cloud offers more than the Microsoft cloud. And no one gets your business into the Microsoft cloud better than CloudForce. It's all they do. Start now at GoCloudForce.com. That's GoCloudForce.com. Handle on the news. Late edition. KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's the Bill Handel Show. Bill's back tomorrow. We are doing Handle on the News Late Edition right now. It's Jennifer Jones-Lee and me, lead story. The Bond Fire is burning in the Silverado Canyon area of Orange County. Um, At last check, it was up to 3,600 acres and no containment. I will just quickly check. Has anything come in in the last few minutes? No. Yeah. I mean, usually updates come every few hours at best uh, in these situations. We have Corbin Carson, who's out there. I'm sure he'll be on the station throughout the day updating us on that. Um, But it started this time as as some kind of structure fire or house fire that then spread to vegetation. So we've got that one in South Orange County. Then we've got this one in Riverside County. This is the one that's burning in Hemet. We do have a slight update on this one. We now know that it is 10% containment, still 200 acres. And they do have an area on California Avenue, north of Traceros Avenue, in the West Hemet area that has been evacuated. Um, Also, we're watching this fire near the airport in Chino. This one has traffic implications. It shut down the 71 there. Doesn't look like any homes are threatened or we haven't heard of any evacuation evacuations at this point. And um, we were just talking about the public power uh, safety shutoffs that have happened. I do know that SoCal Edison now has shut off the power for 47,000 customers. So that's an increase from earlier. If you go to uh, sce.com slash PSPS, that's where you can see if your house is impacted, that sort of thing, if you're not at your home this morning. Also, one thing I'd never noticed until today, and I'm sure it's been there the whole time, is they have a, a link that says if you're experiencing an outage, there are hotel discounts that are right there on the website. So hotels that oh, know. Interesting. Yeah, I thought that too. So anyway, and it's right there above the little map that shows you whether your your house is impacted or not. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot for a second. Yeah. Because you signed up to get alerts on your phone. Yeah. 
Can you can you tell people who are in SoCal Edison who who have them as their service provider how they can sign up to get those alerts? Oh, as sure, well? sure, sure. So just go to sce.com and go ahead and it'll say right there um, that you can sign up for the alerts right at the very top. They that got way you don't have banners. to keep checking a website. You'll, yes. they'll start to push notifications to your phone now the about only, where the shutdowns are happening. So the only thing that I will tell you is, well, I'll tell you, I'm in area code or zip code nine one seven zero one. That is largely impacted, but in my segment of 91701, it's not impacted. So just because you get the alert that they're thinking about shutting your power off, I would still go to the website, enter your address, and see if you're actually in the footprint of the zone that's going to get shut off. Oh, okay. I didn't realize. I thought that the pushes to your phone were just as precise as the web. You're saying the website's more precise. Okay, well then- I mean, get the alerts anyway. And oh, that, yeah. So now, I'll refresh. Get the alerts so you can know if you need to check the website. Correct, yeah. All right. Uh, U.S. unemployment claims dropped week over week but are still high. We are unemployed. 712,000 claims for unemployment. Um, the week before was 787,000. The number of people receiving traditional state unemployment benefits. So that's different than the special, some of the special COVID benefits for gig workers. Um, That number went down to five and a half million from 6.1 million. And it's way down when in May, there were almost 23 million people getting those benefits. So I, 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 you know, it's really hard to know what to make of these numbers in terms of converting it to things are getting better. No, they're not. Because there's other things you have to look at as well. But those are the numbers. Well, Joe Biden's got to put together a health care team. So who's at the top? So you had New Mexico Democratic Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham, who was offered another cabinet post. And she was one of the people that I think was rumored to be the top pick for the Department of Health and Human Services. Now that she's gone, also in the running, uh, Surgeon General Vivek Murthy... He's one of the people. Um, but who does it? And my question to you, Wayne, is does Joe Biden take someone from the White House Coronavirus Task Force? Do we see a Dr. Fauci or a Dr. Burks transferred over into his team? Oh, the t- well, the team. Sure. But in a way, those people are on the team. On in the their team, current position, you mean you mean take one of them and make them the head of health and human services? Make them the head of health and human services, or at least give them a new position, a new title within his administration. I think the second thing is much more likely. For for one reason being, they have so much experience in their current roles. Why pull them out of that? that yes. Um, the other front runner is the governor of Rhode Island, Gina Raimondo, but uh, definitely someone who is not. In the running is our own Mondo from the uh, Tim Conway Jr. show. Mm, See, they're missing out on guacamole in the White House. That's true. All right, uh, let's take a break. And then when we come back, the mayor of a town in Kentucky is in a little bit of trouble thanks to the munchies. I'm Wayne Resnick. Why am I saying that? Why did I just say I'm Wayne Resnick? Because you are. But that was so weird and and, uh, automatic for no good reason. It's KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. I'm Jennifer Jones-Lee. Sleep 
KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Bill Handel Show. Finishing up Handle on the News Late Edition. Then we'll get some news from Jen. Then uh, we will have for you the current Postathon totals and information about how you can be part of this annual drive to raise money for Katarina's Club and Chef Bruno to feed the kids. That's coming up in a few minutes. Back to Handle on the News Late Edition. A mayor in Kentucky has an arraignment tomorrow for something that happened in the drive through No sleep till! <laughs> That's about right. Beverly Chester Burton is the mayor of Shively, Kentucky. And she was in the drive-thru of the White Castle. About 11 o'clock. Fell asleep in the drive-thru. So much so that they had to uh, knock on the window to wake her up. Mere, Mere calling to her was not enough. She, I think what happened next is she like woke up and tried to move her car, crashed into a utility pole and was booked. Uh, and here's the thing. She's she's not going to have the benefit of like, hey, I'm the mayor because she's the mayor of Shively, which is a suburb outside Louisville. But she was in Louisville. Oh, so it's Louisville. Yeah. Louisville Metro got her not Shively PD. Whoa. Yeah, that's, a, that's a little bit. It's a little bit embarrassing. It's a little bit. Oh, Rayford Johnson, an Olympic gold medalist who helped to nab uh, Sirhan Sirhan, has died at the age of 86. He won the 1960 Games in Rome. He had a gold in the decathlon there. And then he started working for Bobby Kennedy's campaign in 1968. And he was among a group who disarmed and subdued Sirhan Sirhan, Sirhan, Sirhan who assassinated Bobby Kennedy. And that's only about... 10% oh my gosh, of the guy. fascinating life of this man and his accomplishments, uh, so much so that at 920, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be very honest with you about something. A lot of times somebody passes away, and then a host, somebody goes, Oh, and we're gonna talk about the life of this guy. And a lot of times I go, I don't need to know. This is amazing. This guy's life and all the different things that he did. Um, and it's amazing nobody's made a movie about his life yet. I agree. It's unbelievable to me. You could make, I agree. you know what? Do you know that you could make at least three different movies just about his life with different aspects? Yeah. So at 920, we're going to get into the details of this very wonderful man and the things that he did. Uh Uh-oh, Steven Spielberg has obtained a temporary restraining order against a woman he says has threatened to kill him. Uh, That order was granted this week and directs Sarah Abrams Char, 48, to stay at least 100 yards from him and his wife and his daughter. And according to the petition that they filed, uh, this woman had been arrested recently for, like, criminal threats and harassment. And there's another hearing on the 18th to uh, see whether to extend the order or not. Oh, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills fans, do I have some gossip for you. So Erica Jane, who's on the show, and she's married to attorney Thomas Girardi of which fame? Well, he worked on that Aaron Brockovich case, amongst other things. Exactly. So... He has been a big name for years. So I remember when I started watching the show, I was like, hey, isn't that the Aaron Brockovich guy? Yes. So 
Erica Jane and Tom Girardi recently filed for divorce. Irreconcilable differences, right? Now we're finding out there is a lawsuit against Mr. Girardi that says he embezzled proceeds and settlements that Boeing paid out as compensation to dozens of families earlier this year all over the crash of Lion Air Flight 610. And it says that he, Thomas, and Erica Jane used that embezzled money to continue their lavish lifestyles in Beverly Hills. Now, some people say, all right, take that. There's A, plus a divorce that was just filed last month, B, and it equals C. There's not really a divorce. They're just trying to find a way to squirrel away that money and not make Tom Girardi have to pay it all. Well, I mean, he's going to have to have his day in court. Isn't that pretty easy to prove? Uh, it depends. Now, in this case, it is, it's another law firm. My understanding is it's another law firm, uh, Edelman PC, a law firm out of Illinois that has filed this lawsuit and that worked with Girardi and right. his firm. So I will say they would certainly have more specific information about the case and the settlements than, say, you or me would. Sure. Um, but, you know, I don't know. All right. But, and also, I just want to say, yes, he was involved in the in the so-called Aaron Brockovich uh, litigation. He, But he's not the guy in the movie played by Albert Finney. Oh, no, no, Edward no. Masry. He's not that, not guy. that guy. He just was another lawyer right. involved. Oh, that's it, man. No more peacocks on the airplane. <laughs> Y'all ruined it. Transportation Department has issued a final rule covering animals on airlines. Here's the deal. Service animals must be dogs. Period. Secondly, emotional support animals don't count. No pot-bellied pigs, no turtles. Oh. None of it. It was getting out of hand, and everybody knows that oh. it was getting out of hand. And there's there's some people who went too far, and so now they have the the airlines basically can really tighten down. Did you ever get on a plane where there was a, an emotional support chicken or a no? I mean, or anything? I no. I mean, I've seen dogs. That's all I've ever know. seen. Yeah. Um, now I'm assuming this does not apply to because here's the thing. So if you want to bring your animal with you. And it's not a certified service dog. You're going to have to put it in the cargo hold. I can tell you right now, there's no way I'm putting a pet in the cargo hold of an airplane. I will drive. I will. I will. I will cash out half of my uh, 401k and charter a private jet before I put a pet in the cargo hold. Um, but here's what I here's what I don't know, and I don't know if you know. But I just want to say sometimes you can. I thought you could always fly with a small dog or cat, yeah. in a carrier that fits under the seat. That's still allowed, right? Yeah, but this it's like is for animals that would not be in the carrier under the seat the whole time, right? And okay. you didn't have to pay for them if they were emotional support animals. Right. You and, didn't have and, to right. pay. Okay. Now you will have to pay. Well, but, that's all I care about. That if I ever move or whatever, that I can still bring a small pet for for travel purposes. Pay the fee, keep them in the carrier. Okay. Good. Can I just say that uh, Scott, before he got his job with FEMA, worked for one of the major airlines where he was a ramp supervisor, and after working the ramp for I don't even know a year or two, he. Echoes what you say, Wayne. 
never, never would he put an animal in the cargo area of a plane. And that's coming from a guy who worked the ramp. Yeah, not one that you give a damn about. <laughs> Meadow thinks Hi, Meadow. Oh. All right. Well, when we come back, hey, there's some movement on a new round of uh, stimulus and COVID-19 relief. The Democrats, um, they're losing. The battles, they're kind of losing them. We'll talk about what's happening. It's KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's the Bill Handel Show. Bill's off today. He's back tomorrow. And in a moment, we're going to talk about this uh, compromise stimulus package that is on the table. There's no guarantee that it's going to pass yet, but we'll talk about uh, what went into it and who compromised. Here's a little hint. One side appears to have compromised quite a bit. But first, we are doing our 10th annual Postathon. It benefits Katarina's Club and Chef Bruno, who feeds over 25,000 kids a week. And I guarantee you, it's going to be more than that. Do you know that he's already served, I think it was in the first five months of this year or something, he had already served a million meals? I mean, the need keeps growing. And so every year uh, we help raise some money for that cause. And you can donate right now. If I sound distracted, it's because the copy holder stand in here is completely falling apart. You can donate now. Throw in an extra five bucks for a new copy stand for the studio. Postathon.com. Postathon. No, don't do that. Postathon.com. You can donate right now. You can go into any Smart and Final store in California, Arizona, Nevada, and when you check out, they will add for you your $10 donation right there to your total. And then uh, they they gather all that money and convert it into pasta and sauce, and it, it results in a massive amount of food. For these kids, there's one other thing that you can do, and that is today and tomorrow only now. You can bring pasta and sauce to the Anaheim White House restaurant, put it in your trunk or your hatch, drive over there between 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. today and tomorrow, and uh, volunteers will take it out of your trunk or hatch, and you won't have to touch anybody or get out of your car. And people are coming in there all day with five pounds, 10 pounds. Some people are coming in with hundreds of pounds. Now, it is time to give the current totals for this pastathon. Now, last time that we read totals was at seven o'clock, and at that time, I said that uh, by nine o'clock, I really I wanted to see that total above one hundred and sixty thousand. So here we go, pastathon total time. It's the tenth annual KFI pastathon. Go to pastathon.com to donate now. Calculating donations. Please stand by. And the totals are $160,800 and uh, 31,960 pounds of pasta and sauce. So we did it. But we're not done yet. Okay. Totals will be read again by Gary and Shannon uh, at 11. And uh, you know what? You know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see when they read those totals that were at or over $165,000. Please be very wonderful. Let's pretend 
that every one of you really likes me and wants to make me happy. I'm saying pretend, okay? <laughs> pretend. You go throw a little money at postathon.com. You get us over 165000 by 11 a.m. And then I can sally field the hell out of the situation. And Gary and Shannon can't talk S about you. Oh, no. That's a really good... Well, now the problem is now people are like, I'm going to wait. <laughs> Just give the money, man. It's hungry children that get a hot meal thanks to Katarina's Club and Chef Bruno. I shouldn't have brought up KFI inter-talent uh, conflict. I'm sorry for doing that. Let's focus back on the kids. Because Gary and Shannon are mean. Now, Congress has uh, two plans. One of them is the roughly $500 billion plan that uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell in the Senate wants. And the other now is a $908 billion plan that is bipartisan. There was the $2.2 billion plan uh, that uh, Democratic lawmakers wanted. That's dead. Did I say billion? $2.2 billion? $2.2 trillion was their plan. Okay, just in case I said billion. Trillion. So now it's down to $908 billion, and it represents two major, uh, if you want to say losses, or compromises or concessions by the Democrats. One of them is it does not include another round of $1,200 stimulus checks. Democrats wanted it. Republicans didn't want it. And it's gone for now. And the other thing is, and it's the other big sticking point, liability protection for businesses. The idea being that uh, if we do stimulus and businesses can stay open or reopen, uh, you don't want them sued out of existence if somebody gets COVID there. So the Republicans say, well, the way that you do it is you have uh, liability protection. You can't sue them. And the Democrats don't really like that. But as of right now, there is a short-term litigation protection provision in this bipartisan plan. There's a lot of money for state, local, and tribal governments, about $160 billion. Of course, projections are that state budgets would need over $500 billion and cities would need over $360 billion. So the $160 billion won't touch that. You've got $180 billion in uh, enhanced unemployment insurance, $288 billion for small businesses through that Paycheck Protection Program, and $25 billion in rental assistance. None of the dollar amounts on the table are enough to cover the projected need in any of those areas, but it is more than Mitch McConnell is offering. Now we don't know if he's going to budge. Will he sign on to this thing and agree and pass it, or will they still be at an impasse in D.C.? Jerks. You really, you know, you really would think. Did you know buying a mattress at Mattress Warehouse means you have a one-year price guarantee? Find a better price, they'll match it, plus 50% of the difference. Why buy anywhere else? Mattress Warehouse. Sleephappens.com. Mattress Warehouse. Sleephappens.com. 
Has COVID done anything for business? Absolutely. It's proven that your business needs cloud computing more than ever. So migrate now to get optimal security and access for your work from anywhere workforce. No cloud offers more than the Microsoft Cloud. And no one gets your business into the Microsoft Cloud better than CloudForce. It's all they do. Start now at GoCloudForce.com. That's GoCloudForce.com. There'd be some way that a bunch of adults, when something is this important, could just put aside some of the partisan nonsense and get something going sooner than, than they have been. But that's where we are. All right, when we come back, I'm very uh, honored, really, to tell you about the life of a guy named Rafer Johnson. He passed away at the age of 86. And just one of the things you should know, Olympic gold medalist in the decathlon, and that doesn't even begin to touch this man's amazing life. This is KFI AM640, live everywhere on the I want KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's the Bill Handel Show. And uh, there's some thank yous that I want to say. Some people helping us with Postathon. This is our annual fundraiser for Katarina's Club and Chef Bruno feeding the kids. You can donate right now at Postathon.com. And every year, Deanne Mendoza and the whole staff at Teacher Created Materials in Huntington Beach help with Postathon. They're so generous. I consider them partners in Postathon. And they've donated ten thousand dollars and forty one hundred pounds of pasta and sauce. And uh, teacher created materials makes classroom materials, library materials, continuing education materials for teachers, and they're put together and devised by teachers. So it, it's teachers helping teachers and they're helping with Postathon. And thank you guys so much. And also Christopher and Robert at FiberPasta.us for their donation of 2,000 pounds of diabetic-friendly pasta. That's a ton, literally. Rafer Johnson has passed away at the age of 86. And I'm just going to try to go through some highlights of this man's unbelievable life. Born during the Depression in Texas when he was nine his family of farm workers moves to uh, to the San Joaquin Valley here in California, the only black family in that town at the time. He goes on to be a high school sports star in football and baseball and basketball and track and field. And track and field was his favorite. He lettered in all four of those sports, then went on to UCLA One of the reasons that he wanted to go to UCLA, and I'm sure he could have gone to any school he wanted, but he chose UCLA partly because uh, Jackie Robinson went to UCLA. He became a world-class decathlon athlete. He won the Pan American Games in 55. He went on the Ed Sullivan Show after that. He broke the world record for the decathlon. He was going to go to the uh, 1956 Olympics and win it. Everybody said, you're going to win it. And he came in second. But here's the thing. He came in second with an injured knee and a torn stomach muscle. And he still came in second in the Olympics. 
He goes back to UCLA and he's elected student body president. Then, remember, at this point, he's a college kid. At the height of the Cold War, 1958, there's a U.S.-USSR track meet in Moscow. And a big showdown between Rafer Johnson, the American, and Vasily Kuznetsov, the Soviet. Johnson wins, sets another world record. The people rush out of the stands and he talked about he thought they were going to attack him. It's all these Soviets coming out. He's like, oh, I'm dead now. Oh, no. They hoisted him up on their shoulders. They loved it. He was so good. He played basketball under John Wooden at UCLA. He goes back uh, to the Olympics in 1960. Gold medal there. He also had a little career as a TV guy. He covered the 64 Olympics for NBC. He was a sports anchor right here at KNBC in Los Angeles. He then became very close to Robert Kennedy when Robert Kennedy was the attorney general. So much so that on the night Robert Kennedy was assassinated, uh, what was that, June 5th, 68? Rayford Johnson was right there. And he's the guy... Um, with some other people, they rushed the gunman, Sirhan Sirhan, and Johnson said he got the gun out of Sirhan's hand. And then check out this part of the story. He got it out of the guy's hand, and, you know, it was chaos, and he put the gun in his pocket right there. It was like, they put it there. And then, like, hours later, he went, oh, damn, I still have the gun in my pocket. He turned it over to the police. Then he helped launch California Special Olympics. And he was the president of Special Olympics for Southern California for like nine years. He also had a, a career with Continental Telephone. I mean, that's a whole separate thing. He became the vice president of personnel for Continental Telephone. He got married. He had a daughter, a son. They're all still uh, alive. Then Tom Bradley, mayor of L.A. at the time, asked him to help bring the Olympics to L.A. in 84, which he did. And when it came time for the people running the 84 Olympics to decide who would light the final leg of the Olympic torch thing, they could have picked Mark Spitz. They could have had Bruce Jenner do it. Rafer Johnson, which he did, ran up all those stairs at the Coliseum. And then another set of extra rickety stairs when he got to the top of the regular stairs and lit that torch. And I still feel like we haven't fully explored the life of this guy. This is a guy who needs three biopics minimum. Uh, and uh, he is gone at the age of 86, survived by his wife and his children. And this is a truly amazing, amazing human being. When we come back, it's Brian Suits for Tactical Thursday, and there's a lot going on. You got that assassination of the Iranian uh, professor, who's really, I think, a nuclear scientist. Well, he's not anymore because he's dead. And you've also got Israeli planes in the air. What are they up to? Plus some other stuff. We'll get the scoop from Brian when we come back. It's KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio. 
I love the smell of napalm in the morning. It smells like victory. We're airborne. We don't start fights. We finish them. KFI AM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's the Bill Handel's show. Bill's off. He's back tomorrow. And it's Tactical Thursday, so we are joined by the very learned, very knowledgeable, very well-connected Brian Suits. You know him from Dark Secret Place, his show Saturdays, 8 to 11 p.m., and on Sundays from 8 to 10 p.m. with Super Hyper Local Sunday. Good morning, Brian. Howdy. No no assassinations yet today, but uh, the sun is still up in the Middle East. So That's too bad because I got to tell you something. I, I have uh, I have kind of a sweet spot for assassinations. Not I mean, not that like, oh, I'm so happy, but I'm fascinated by when they're done, why they're done and how they're done. And of course, this recent assassination of the Iranian professor. He's just a professor, Brian. Um has yeah, fascinated uh, biologist. me. No, <laughs> I know. So listen, um, <clears throat> what do you want to say about it? Uh, uh, well, he was, you know, this time last week that uh, Dr. Mohsen Fakhrizadeh was was specifically killed. Um, and the Iranians, uh, it, it, they slipped a bit. They initially leaked a bunch of details that pretty much confirmed what absolutely everybody knew, that Mossad did it. And then they changed their story the next day to, no, no, it was a drone truck with a robot machine gun. They really did say that because they realized that the truth made them look absolutely incompetent. Um, and if you want a primer on uh, on a brief history of killing, uh, uh, that's what I did last Saturday on my show. For people who don't know, uh, Mossad did this to Saddam's nuclear scientists. Uh, in the 70s, they, they, they hired a prostitute to lure a guy to a hotel, and then she left, and then he fell against a knife about 19 times. And when she went to the Paris police, uh, she was r- hit and run by a Mercedes. Uh, the Mossad, if, if you represent an existential threat to Israel, and then you go home to a home-cooked meal with your wife and kids, you're going to get an exploding phone. You're going to get um, an assassination team on a road outside of Tehran. That's just that. And this guy was the Robert Oppenheimer of the Iranian uh, nuclear program. He he was on the list to be whacked back in 2008, right during the, the Bush-Obama transition, but uh, it was Prime Minister Ehud Olmert at the time who said, no, we better not do that. Obama might not like us. They look back on that and they say that was a gigantic mistake. It was a mistake not to do it during the Obama-Trump uh, transition. But they had assurances that, that Trump was going to be a, a different kettle of fish, which he was with the Iranian nuclear program. And so they've um, – what the Iranians announced today – is, oh, yeah, well, we're going to go back to we're going to now enrich our stockpile up to 20 percent. Um, <clears throat> and not to get too wonky about this, but for people uh, who don't know, uranium enrichment is not a, a gradual slope or, or even a 45 degree angle. Um, it's a hockey stick. Uh, and so going from one percent to five percent can take years Going from 5% to 10% can only take months. And then 
where, where they are now, which is like nuclear reactor and medical isotope level, like 8%, to get to 20% only takes a few months. And then once you're at 20%, a nuclear bomb enrichment, enrich uranium, uh, is north of 90%. That, so what they're saying now today is, hey, we're eight months away from fissionable material. Um, Iran and, is saying so that? that? That's why... That's what they said today. When they say 20%, there's the point is, for people who don't know this, there's between nuclear reactors and nuclear bombs, there's a, a no man's land. There's no reason to enrich uranium past 10%. If your intent is peaceful use of nuclear power, 10% is too hot, in fact. You know, the uh, San Onofre or Diablo, any nuclear reactor – it's enriched to about 6 or 7% because there's no reason to enrich it past that. So when the Iranians today, just a few hours ago, said, well, for assassinating Dr. Fokhrizadeh, um, we're going to enrich to 20%. So that's their signal to the Biden administration, which is um, you better give us the farm to get us back on that nuclear deal because you, your, your nation effed up. And by the way, they're burning pictures of Trump and Biden in Tehran. So that's, um, that's a signal from the government that by, they, they think, by the way, it, that it's not just Israel, but that we participated in that assassination. So, so um, you know, if they think that, then you can't get them to unthink that. Do you think we did? Yes. Um, but the, the, the more, the, the details that have emerged is that the Israelis had a large team on the ground in Iran um, and that they all got away. So it, it, they, it makes the Revolutionary Guard look absolutely incompetent. But I do think that there was probably some support um, by by the U.S. Um, and it, what's really unique about America and Israel is that we have a large population of uh, colloquial, native-speaking, uh, Farsi citizens. You know, the Persian Jews went to Israel in 1979, 1980, or Encino. And uh, I ain't saying nothing, but Mossad and the CIA are not run by stupid people, and they know if you want to infiltrate Iran, get an Iranian. And, uh, you know, Belgium can't do this, and uh, Kenya can't do this, but Israel and the United States can't. And the Iranians are livid about this, absolutely livid, because they, they don't know, uh, you know, how to vet their, their own people. Um, and, and so there has been a general de-Jewification, you know, in Iran, you could, you could say. I just invented that word, uh, because they, they've decided that's the only way to guarantee that Mossad is not going to get you. They, they, are, they are the sweet James Bergener of assassination. When, when Mossad puts their dense beard of assassination on you, they're, they're going to get you. All right. Now, uh, we're going to take a break here. And then when we come back, Iran may have a new problem because there's some Israeli planes that are in the air and uh, maybe they're coming for Iran. But you'll you'll know better than me. And we'll continue talking to Brian Suits on Tactical Thursday right here on KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. In the valley, you ain't been up off that porch now. Can nobody tell me nothing? Nobody tell me nothing. Can nobody tell me nothing? 
Nobody tell me nothing. Tell me nothing. Sing along with yourself, man. I know. It was meta. Wow. Uh, KFI AM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Uh, it's the Bill Handel Show. Finishing up, Brian Suits is here for Tactical Thursday. Um, what's going on with Israeli planes in the air over Lebanon? Where are they going? And 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 uh, before I forget, though, let, let me I forgot to explain something uh, to the fine, fine KFI audience. And that's the strategy that Mossad is employing in regards to assassinating Iranian nuclear experts um, is a modification of what they did to Saddam's guys. They killed Saddam's guys generally overseas in France, and they realized that the knowledge <clears throat> was actually concentrated in a handful of guys that were teaching others, and they were all French-trained, and the French were very embarrassed by that, and so they actually assisted with names and all that. Well, so the, the Israelis now, and they've been doing this for a decade in Tehran, um, if you are on the nuclear physics uh, staff at Tehran University, you better have really, really good uh, protection and bodyguards and all that because the Israelis now are, are killing the guys that teach the teachers. Um, it's a, the economy of effort here is phenomenal. Like, and just if it was 1943 and you were the Japanese Secret Service, you would kill Robert Oppenheimer and Enrico Fermi and you know and and th- that's what you would do and that's what the israelis did so so now they're dealing with the promises of revenge um and hezbollah is uh, of course iran's number one overseas proxy terrorist force they're entirely an invention of iran um and so let's let's remember back in january when the united states killed qasem soleimani in baghdad it was five days later that the Iranians shot basically a symbolic salvo of missiles at the American al-Assad base uh, in Iraq. And, and for some reason, we had three hours warning, wink, wink. Um, it, it seems like the Iranians <clears throat> didn't want to actually hurt any Americans. They just wanted to, you know, uh, for their own honor or whatever. Well, the, the Israelis last night had an assassination package up. They had drones up. They had aircraft up over Beirut. And it looked like they were – it was a significant presence in the air over southern Lebanon and Beirut. It looked like what you would do if you wanted to kill Nasrallah, the head of Hezbollah. Because if you've, if you've killed the head of the Iranian nuclear program, the U.S. killed Soleimani earlier this year in a month way, way, a long time ago called January. Um, why not kill Nasrallah, the head of Hezbollah? He's, he's had it coming for a long, long time. And so if I were him, uh, I would probably stay underground for uh, until noon on January 20th, uh, Washington, D.C. time, when uh, Joseph R. Biden is president. Uh, let me ask you a question. Is there a reason you can think of that they haven't killed Nasrallah before now? Um yeah, it's that the United States um, has, uh, you know, Bush told Netanyahu when he was first time around as as PM uh, and the second time Obama said everything goes through me. I don't know why with Trump as president, they didn't do it. Uh, this one, the one thing, the one argument against it is that it would unleash 
um, a, a a brief and possibly you know sharp deadly war in northern Israel because Hezbollah has has been handsomely resupplied by Iran, uh, and so that's the one argument against doing it. And I think I think Netanyahu is frankly run out of f's. He's fresh out. And is this a good uh, sociopolitically or geopolitically? Is this a good time to do it where? You you have a lame duck president. The new guy is not the president yet. Is this kind of a nice opening to go ahead and do it and not have to worry as much about what the Americans yeah. think? This is a global sweet spot, <clears throat> sweet spot for China invading Taiwan and Netanyahu and Saudi Arabia and all the Gulf Arab states collectively taking out Iran's entire nuclear program take out Nasrallah. By the way, you know what was lost in the news last week? Netanyahu, did you did you hear about this? Netanyahu was the first Israeli prime minister to ever set foot in Saudi Arabia. He met with uh, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Netanyahu shook hands with MBS and there were there weren't pictures released, but it was publicly confirmed. I mean, that's huge, and you didn't hear a peep about it in the United States. Well, but there it was, was after the, Pompeo visited. There, oh, right, right, right. And but there was the the that plane that was tracked, right from Israel to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, led people yeah. to think, and, and then now it was was it the Saudis that confirmed this uh, meeting with Netanyahu. Um. Yeah. They they leaked it out because they the want Israelis Iran to know. Have Every, not. Yeah. They want they want Iran to know that um, that uh, the the Israelis and the Gulf Arab states uh, have finally come together in agreement on one thing, and that is the mullahs should not have a bombs, and they will do whatever it takes. And they have zero faith that uh, Biden uh, and and Binkle, his Secretary of State, are committed. To a non-nuclear uh, Iran, they because they saw what eight years of Obama did. It got you this horrible nuclear deal that the Iranians now don't even want to renegotiate. And so, so um, yeah, I think I, I think it's going to be an explosive December. Oh my! All right, Brian suits everybody. Thank you, sir. Gary and Shannon are coming up next. This is KFI AM six forty live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Fuel your food with flavor that gets you through the day. If you're committed to paleo, keto, or Mediterranean, America's original supernut is your diet super snack. A handful does the trick. Learn more at AmericanPecan.com. AmericanPecan.com.